a couple times. All right, team. Well, let's uh, thank you guys for joining us at Mission Church. My name is uh, the other John Simon, not the real one. I guess the real one's my dad, I guess. So uh, yeah, we'll start with our adoration verse, which is in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Feel free to turn there with me. And then um, Michael, take it away with some music. So here we go. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
guys our uh, sermon passage is going to come from Matthew the end of chapter 28 feel free to turn there with me it's just verses uh, 16 through 20 then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, God, again, we thank you for this opportunity to um, gather, quotation marks, gather. Lord, we, uh, we recognize how much, even God, I'm, I'm here at the church speaking behind the pulpit to uh, an empty building, and I'm feeling the, just the, the sorrow of not being able to meet. And I know that a lot of us, I know that probably all of us are feeling this burden of this community that we're, we're really struggling to try and like assemble as best as we can. So Jesus, we are thankful that we have this opportunity to still come together, being able to see each other with our eyes and hear each other with our ears, even though we know that the true presence is not 100% there. Lord, we know that uh, trusting in you, uh, that day will be there before we know it. And so, uh, Lord, please just uh, may your words be spoken today. May we understand uh, the importance of our identity and how that compels us to move forward as Christians. May this be a word of encouragement for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. The, uh, the purpose of this sermon uh, today, guys, was to try to be a practical sequel almost to the story of Easter. Because we know that in Easter, we have um, a hope, like a true fulfilled hope that we receive from Jesus, which is that um, 
through his resurrection, through him defeating death, through him showing that sin is no longer our master and conqueror, that we now have the hope that our lives would not be enslaved to sin. We have the hope that our lives are, are more than just the death that we see around us, but that there's true life beyond that. And so we can believe in hope because Jesus has offered that in the Easter story. So the purpose of this sermon is to say, okay, what's the next step for us though? Where do we go from here? And to start, I would like to uh, run down uh, the brief synopsis of, of this children's book I've been, I've been doing. Uh, I've been stealing all of Nick's ideas for, for everything he's been doing. So I decided I'm gonna write a children's book. Um, this children, children's book is called Brody the Broadsword. Uh, you know, Brody was a, uh, he's a broadsword who lived in a kingdom where there was constant warfare, constant kingdoms battling each other back and forth, just constant strife. And so suddenly one day, all of the kings of the land decide that war is illegal and that they will sell their disputes and that they will agree to never again solve their differences through fighting. This is great news, but for Brody, this is terrible news. He's a broadsword. In a world without war, he has no purpose. He wonders what his life will be like without the thing that he feels he was created for. And so one day, he meets a farmer who hires Brody to work at his farm to help him plow fields so that he can plant his crops. The farmer is, uh, is working like on, on Brody, and he fully transforms him into a new creation. He shortens his blade and he adjusts his handle so that he's more appropriate for his new task. Day after day, he works in the fields, guided by his farmer as his new master, but Brody is struggling with this. This is not a task he's familiar with, and sometimes he even dreams, fantasizes of the kings tearing up their contracts and returning to war so that he can return to a world that he knows and secretly still loves. But he trudges along, sometimes unwillingly, plowing the fields day after day. Over time, he finds that he's growing more proficient at his new job. And beyond that, he starts to see the literal fruit of his labor. He sees that how his work is allowing for food to be grown, which feeds and nourishes the families of the kingdoms of the world. He realizes that through his identity, as in, that though his identity as an instrument of battle is irrelevant, he has a new identity that he's been transformed into, and that through his new life, he is able to bring beauty to the world rather than destruction. So it's like a rough draft. I don't have any illustrations or anything like that. You know, you guys can send me some like feedback on that one later, but it was just kind of a a little like prelude into what I want to discuss, which is really just the significance of the identity that Christ is giving us, but also the call that we have in response to that identity. Um, so kind of that two-pronged idea, which we'll be fleshing out later on. Um, so like I said, the intention of the sermon is to be a practical sequel to the hope that we inherit in the story of Easter. Um, Jesus' resurrection is a story that gives hope to those that follow him. It's a hope that death has been defeated, that sin is no longer our master, that we've been made new. But sometimes, just like our dear friend Brody, we can struggle with the burden of acknowledging a new identity that we've been made into. 
just like him, we can struggle to see how we've been made new when we feel as though we are the same that we've always been. Our sin and even just the sinful thoughts of our mind, just the ways that we know that we are not naturally conforming to who God wants us to be can often challenge who we are and make us challenge who we actually are belonging to, whether we are still belonging to the sin of the past or whether we can actually live anew with Jesus. That's a struggle that I think a lot of us have. Sometimes we feel as though we have this responsibility to like change and mold ourselves by beating and breaking away all of our imperfections so that maybe one day we could start to resemble Jesus and not the sinful creatures that we believe that we are. But the new life that Jesus has promised us is not a life that we are working and, and, and battling to achieve, but it's a process that's already occurred. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is not something that we have to work towards, but it's a gift that we've already been given. If we are trusting in Jesus with our lives, then we can know that at the moment, at the moment of that trust that we put in Jesus, we were immediately made new. And that new life has defined, permanently defined and altered who we are in him. It is a beautiful transformation that has been made and that has created a bond and a link that has reconciled us with our creator, with Jesus, with God that can never be severed. This passage makes me think of the symbolism that we have when we talk about baptism. A lot of times when we talk about baptism, the idea is that you're going down into the water just as Jesus went down into the grave and then he came up out of the water just as he resurrected. So there's the symbolism of like, we are going down into death as Jesus did, and we're coming up into new life as Jesus did as well. But they, when they were practicing baptism before, um, when they were practicing baptism before Jesus came, Baptism had a different type of symbolism for the Hebrews. It's actually very interesting. When they started participating in doing baptism, it was a way of recognizing how their identity had been completely shifted. And the reason that they started doing baptism with water was because it was supposed to represent as the Israelites that they were led by Moses were entering the Red Sea and then leaving it. They were going in through the water and just as that process happened, they went in as slaves and they came out as free, now um, connected and reconciled to a God who loved them and rescued them. So this idea of like your identity shifting as you come to faith in Jesus is, is all over scripture. And it's, and it's very important for us to understand that. I believe, I firmly believe that one of the ways that the enemy uses sin to tear us down as children of God isn't just through the action of sin itself, but he can manipulate how we respond to sin to make us challenge the identity that we have in Christ as being new. He doesn't want us to know that we are children of light who were previously in darkness, even though God tells us that. He doesn't want us to believe that God has forgiven and forgotten our sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west, even though God tells us that as well. He doesn't want us to believe that God no longer sees us as broken and hopeless, but that God sees us as if we are 
in Christ because we are. But just like our friend Brody, the story doesn't stop at just recognition of our new identity. We have to respond in living out that new identity as servants of the king. See, I think that sometimes when we emphasize this idea of what identity is, it becomes this thing of like, you, you, are, you, are, you are being torn apart by all of these things that are grappling for your identity. You should take peace, you should take solace and be able to rest in the identity that you have. And I think that's wonderful, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think that the identity that Christ gives us should be a thing that inspires peace and should inspire like this sense of calm in knowing who we belong to, who we are, and that we are fully made in this new creation, which is a beautiful thing. However, I think that, you know, if, if, if we look at this through the story that we discussed earlier with, with my guy Brody, the, the broadsword, then if he was to just say, this is who I am now, I'm not a sword, I am now part of a plow, this is who I am, but then he never actually engaged in that work at all, then his understanding of this identity was kind of halfway. There's a freedom in that the identity that Christ is, is, is giving us is not just meant to give us this sense of peace and harmony, but it's supposed to give us an action and like almost this activation of propelling us forward into doing what Christ is calling us to do, which just like Brody, he was no longer destroying things, but was beautifying the earth. We have that same kind of opportunity that we can bring beauty to the creation around us as we follow the call of Jesus, as we follow the many things that he calls us to do as we serve others, as we work diligently, as we engage in healthy and beautiful and loving community, as we care for our families, as we show love to the people around us, and then we ask forgiveness and confess when we don't, and we pray and we work out God's blessings over a world that is still very wounded and hurting. With all this in mind, I, I really think I really think of the lives that we have before us when we anchor ourselves in Jesus's last words in the book of Matthew that we read earlier. We have Jesus making these three statements. We have Jesus saying, A, I have authority over all things. It has been given to me, which you can believe because this dude was dead a couple days ago and now he's alive with holes in his hands and he's saying, I have authority. You can believe that. The second thing he does is he calls the disciples to, hey, just as I have called you from death into new life, just as I have shown you of the status of fallen man and the need for a savior, but also the love of the savior for reconciling, as I have shown you what true life is and how to be reconciled with the creator of the world, I want you to send that to the rest of the world because I love them too. And I want you to reach that out to them as well. And then the third thing is, is an encouragement. He says, I will be with you forever. I'll be with you constantly. One thing I see in the gospels all over the place is they, the, the disciples are so jittery about Jesus leaving. Whenever Jesus talks about how he's potentially going to die, the disciples are always freaking out. They're like, ah, I don't think that's going to happen. But Jesus is now gone into the tomb, into death, resurrected from that to tell his disciples, I know that you're afraid that I'm going to leave you. So let me promise you that I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. And so I think that when we take these three things 
and we combine them together, what we have is, is we are people who recognize that we have a new identity in Christ. We are people who recognize that we have a call that we are given in Christ. And then we have the presence and the comfort of Christ with us every single day. I think when we live lives like that, like we, we can feel free to give our lives 100% away because we know that the true life that we have can't be taken from us. That just as Jesus was able to give his life and pour himself out so that he could take his own life again, that we have that same benefit of being able to give our lives away and everything that Christ is calling us to because we know that the true life we can't lose. We've literally, we literally have nothing to lose here. I think of, uh, I remember uh, in college, I remember reading a quote from Marcus Aurelius. He's one of the Roman emperors um, way back in antiquity, back when Christianity was a, was a tiny little baby religion. And the, the Christians at that time were like, they were, they were a very small, like, little like religion off to the side but they were heavily persecuted by rome because they did they refused to uh make offerings at the temples and they refused to to bow the knee to the emperors and the things that that rome was using to kind of you know uh provide this like sameness amongst the citizens and he had this quote where he was like the christians are the absolute worst like He's like, what am I supposed to do if you can't coerce somebody who fears a being above the emperor? If, 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 they're, if they're fearing someone above me, then I have no power over them. And this is a true statement. Like there is no power against us in the world that can actually harm us. We have everlasting life promised to us and we have an identity that we can live out of in that to give us that kind of courage. As I, was, uh, as I was prepping this sermon, I uh, felt compelled to rewatch the scene in The Lion King of, uh, of like Simba's sort of redemption story. Um, I'm sure everybody here is pretty familiar with The Lion King, but for the one guy who's not, one guy who's like, what? I was just real break it down. Like Simba, it's like the king, the, the son of Mufasa, he's inherited the throne of the pride. Uh, uh, Scar is uh, his uncle, he kills Mufasa. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have spoiled that if you hadn't seen it yet. Um, but Simba abandons his responsibility and he goes off on this Hakuna Matata, like everything is chilled, no worries in the world. And, but he feels this pull that he actually owes something to return to try to take the throne back from his super cruel and oppressive uncle and so Rafiki this like super dope like monkey guy I think he's like a baboon or a mandrill um he leads Simba and he says he says you know look at your reflection in the water here and Simba looks in the water and he sees he sees his own reflection and he's like ah, there's nothing there it's just me it's just me and Rafiki's like no look deeper so Simba looks again and he sees a reflection of his father, Mufasa, looking back at him. And, and Rafiki says, you see, like he lives in you. And I was like, ooh, watching that. And then it, this proceeds into this like really cool scene where Simba has this vision of Mufasa appearing before him in the sky. And Mufasa continues to like challenge his son with this same statement of remember who you are. Like, remember who you are. Like, remember who you belong to. Remember the calling that you have. But also remember, remember who your father is. Remember who you belong to. 
And it's just like these statements like resonate really heavily with me, even even though they're, you know, kind of silly Disney connections. Because as a Christian, I think that I struggle to see myself through the sins and imperfections and just damaging things that I've done and still struggle to do in my life. I struggle to see myself through that identity because all I see a lot of times is not what, what, has been, what has been given to me, but what I feel like I'm producing with my own hands. When I make mistakes, then I am devaluing myself. I am decreasing who I am in the eyes of God. But when we remember that Jesus has not left us, but that he lives in each of us, that is a comfort that all of us as Christians can carry with us. And this call, this call from Mufasa, who is actually the Lord, that we must remember who we are. Remember that we are children of God, that we have eternal life and everything before us and nothing to fear because the God who calls us is also the God who holds everything in his hands and nothing against his will can actually harm us. We have nothing to lose and we have everything to gain. And it's just, I just think that's super cool. So I'm going to end with a, a verse from a hymn that I really, really love that I felt I was listening to when I was prepping this and I felt it really connected with some of these words here. Um, also, uh, this hymn is super old and sometimes they use words. I don't know what they mean. One word in particular is repine. I always, I listen to this and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I feel like it's good. Um, repine means like to fret or to be worried. So that way, cause it's like the last word of this, so it'll throw it off. If you don't know what it means. So it means to fret. But anyways, it says soul, soul, then know thy full salvation Rise over sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station, something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Let's pray. <sighs> Dear God, um, I don't know, God, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that even though I recognize this weird concept of identity and calling, like I still feel like it's far from me, but I see it and I see it clearly enough to be encouraged by it. I see it clearly enough to know that you have clearly stated that we are not what we often see ourselves as. We are not the multiple identities of the world around us. We are not just a mismatch of our best and worst days. And we are certainly not just the sum of our sins, God. Um, I think it's something that I have to continue to challenge myself with. Um, and I think I'm probably gonna have to continue doing that tomorrow as well. But I pray that we would understand it. I pray that we would see ourselves even when we look in the mirror every morning, not as every imperfection or problem or past sin or anything else, but we would just see ourselves as, as yours. We would see yourselves as made new, as new creations, as those who are full and loved and beautiful in your eyes. Because it's, it's true. Help us to really understand that. 
and uh, not just understand it with our minds, but understand it with our hearts and then let that calling propel us to love a world intensely and to really embrace our calling as the kingdom of God because we are part of a kingdom that will not lose because through Christ, we already have victory. So just help us to uh, see that. In Jesus' name, amen. It's in my heart to rebellious side Conflicting with my spirit's desire To keep my heart in step with I do not do what I want to do All my life I live to follow You alone As you change my desire To liberate it Blood of Jesus I find life in the In the sweetest of 
Father, we thank you that you've called us into something that is bigger than our actions, and that's bigger than what we can or can't offer, but that you've given us an identity that is so much greater um, than we could ever try to offer or try to provide for ourselves. Um, I pray that we just remember that that means it's not up to us to keep ourselves in good standing anymore. It's not up to us to make sure that we've got everything right so that we can uh, offer anything to you, that we can offer anything to the world, and, and we don't have to be afraid anymore. I pray that um, we would take on that identity that you've given us, realize that it gives us a responsibility and a call, and that we would just feel free to move forward in that and to, to love like you've loved us. And pray that for your glory. Amen.